Hi, I'm Matt Kirkegaard, and thanks to Cryer Malt, this is Beer is a Conversation. This week, we have a long overdue chat with brewer Michael Capaldo. In a career spanning more than a decade, Michael has gone from working as a packaging assistant with Little Creatures to a production brewing role with Gage Roads while completing a graduate diploma of brewing through Edith Cowan University. From there, he took the reins as head brewer for Sydney Brewery and Lovedale Brewery, where he led the team to winning trophies at the Australian International Beer Awards and the Royal Sydney Show within its very first year of operation, back in 2014. In 2017, Michael moved from the production side of the industry to take up a sales role at Hop Products Australia, working to provide on-the-ground support to brewers across New South Wales and Queensland. It's a great chat with the real character of the brewing industry. Enjoy the conversation. Michael Capaldo, welcome to Beer is a Conversation. It's been a long time coming. Thanks, Matt. As I was just saying to you off air, we've uh, long wanted to uh, have you on to chat a, a lot about beer, but uh, we've also been planning to get through Newcastle and do a bit of a swing through Newcastle. We didn't want to get you on by phone and then not get you on when we are in Newcastle, but that became moot because recently you started with uh, HPA. Yeah, yeah. I made the, I'd been brewing for 10 years commercially and I... Uh, I made the jump across to the supply side of things recently, which is which has been great, and uh, and we'll come to that. But I guess um, we, we might step back and what's your background? Have, have you have you always been a brewer? Have you always wanted to be a brewer, or was that a second or third career change for you? Oh, I don't know. I mean, it, I've always I think I was always destined to be a brewer. Um, I stole my first beer glass in Madrid in 1995 as a 15 year old, and uh, I haven't stopped accumulating beer glasses. I tend to. Uh, I don't tend to steal them anymore because I like I like to actually put the money into the brewers uh, that actually invest in those beer glasses. Um, but look, before I was a brewer, I had a home delivered fresh fruit and vegetable business. Before I had that, I was a pizzaiolo in Italy and uh, and in Australia as well. So I've I've done a few. You were a what? Sorry, pizzaiolo, which is a pizza maker. A pizza. So I, le- I learned to make pizzas in Italy and uh, worked in some great pizzerias over there. And, oh, God, that, that opens a whole other line of questioning that we'll come back to. But um, what was it that got you out of pizza making and fresh food delivery to making beer? Look, a friend of mine, when I was uh, running my fresh fruit and vegetable business, uh, he gave me a homebrew kit and he said, try this, Mike, you might like it. And I said, okay. Uh, and I did a brew and it was, it was just great. It was really fun. Straight away, uh, we went into kegs. And within uh, within a month, I was I was brewing every week. All grain or no? I, kit? I started with kits, and yeah. then I went to partial mixes, just mashes, just getting getting a little bit of roast barley or whatever barley's or a touch of hops, putting it in there. Um, and all of a sudden, I went. I, I had a chat to my housemate, and I said, "Look, mate, if we can take out three of the four levels in your fridge, and I can put two holes in the side of it, one for gas in and one for beer out, you'll drink beer for free as long as we live together." And he said, "Okay." <laughs> So we had four beers on tap uh, in our house, and it was a, a room of it was a house of four guys, and we actually had a, a beer gun that was on a hose on a retractable hose, so the beer gun could reach anywhere in the kitchen. So if you were doing the dishes, you could have the beer gun next to you, and we'd drink in ponies. So you, you're constantly filling up the glass. 
Okay, now I can see uh, a few problems with the beer warming. So was there much fobbing uh, or, or much... Uh... Oh, we got it pretty good. We'd pour it nice and slow and the, the carbonation was right. But then four taps wasn't enough. So I got another beer fridge and we got seven taps. And then I remember looking up at my beer glass collection of a few hundred at the time. It's probably a lot more now. I had seven beers on tap. I had friends who would come around to my house every week just to drink my beers. And I said, I need to do something about this. So I sold the business and I went and did a postgrad in brewing science at Edith Cowan University under Hugh Dunn. And uh, so you're another one of uh, Hugh Dunn's uh, proteges. Yeah. Uh, yep. Absolutely. And did you stay over there and brew upon graduation? Because uh, I know you've worked for Gay Droads and Little Creatures. Yeah. Well, I was working with Creatures in the pack line, and before the pack line, I was working. Uh, I, I was high pressure hosing the floors. I couldn't get a gig high pressure hosing the floors inside the brewery because that was a brewer's job, which seemed incredibly glorious. Uh, but I, I, I did the rest of the venue. If anyone's been to Little Creatures Venue in, uh, in, in, in Frio, I've high pressure hosed every floor you've ever walked on as many times as I can remember. Um, but then upon completion of the postgraduate diploma, I got a, a full-time job at Gage Roads as a production brewer. And at the time, they were going through a massive expansion. They, they were going, I think it was, I, I can't remember the numbers now, but they'd just gotten some big contracts on board. And we're a lean team, and it was a, a really incredible learning experience because uh, we were working really hard, really long hours. Uh, and looking back on it, we learned, you know, every hour, every unpaid hour we put into that, which were many, many, those were hours I was investing in, in myself uh, and becoming a better brewer. And because of that, that short period of time I was at Gage Roads two years I learned a lot and then I was able to get a head brewer's position at what was Schwartz Brewery and became Sydney Brewery and uh, I mean I, I don't know whether it's fair to say but that's certainly where um, I became aware of your skills particularly in lager making you, you, you're one of the more successful uh, lager brewers in the country in terms of AIBA awards yeah yeah we had some great results um and it's funny, there are, there are so many people who are more technically gifted and knowledgeable than I. Um, the, the philosophy that I've always brought to the table is we brew with great raw materials, we use excellent process, we are hygienic and we brew drinkable beers. Um, I was never one to... I, I brewed a lot of IPAs and pale ales, but, but the lagers, um, I really liked going after... Uh, or brewing traditionally, as traditionally as I could. And that just yielded great results. Um, yeah, we're very lucky and very humble to consistently win trophies uh, between Sydney Royal uh, and AIBA. I don't know that luck, consistency uh, and, and luck aren't necessarily the same thing, but it, it does seem over the mm. 10, 12 years I've been going to AIBAs that I did see you on stage quite regularly winning trophies for for, for the like How many... You've won two or three trophies for... We started winning trophies once we actually made the move up to the, the Hunter Valley Brewery, up to the Lovedale Brewery. Uh, and we won three AIBA trophies in three years there. And then I've actually... I left six months ago and they actually picked up another trophy this year as well. So it's great to see the guys at, at the Sydney Brewery continuing on and, and still brewing great beers as well. And we're recording this at Brewcon uh, 2018, and uh, I'm staying at Ridges, which is the, the partner hotel, and it was very exciting to see that the Sydney uh, Brewery beers are on tap there. So I managed to, to check a couple of out. So who's brewing at, at Sydney Brewery now at Lovedale? Look, uh, Scott Haywood's the new head brewer there now. Scotty was at Blue Tongue. For many many years, um, he was yeah he was there for a long time. So he's been a, a great 
fit in there. He's got some really, really strong skills in, in brewing, and, 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 and the team is great as well. They've got an excellent team of brewers there, so yeah, that, they'll do well. Oh, the Surrey Hills Pills uh, yep. that I had last night was tasting uh, lovely, so he's doing a great job. And did you see the brewery they're putting into Bridges Sydney Central? No, I haven't. We might have to go check it out. So yeah. where's that going? We're in, in the actual hotel, you'll see that there's some, uh, some works going on when you're having breakfast. Okay. Look down. Uh, they're putting a five-hectolitre uh, five system there. And they're going to be in a lot of lot of specialty, a lot of NPD stuff, uh, and and just brewing local beers in Sydney. Excellent. Oh, that's great. And it, you know, again, it's uh, just in terms of consistency of messaging. It's great that the hotel that a lot of the conference delegates are at mm. are getting to have a, a, a choice of. I don't know whether they're members of the IBA or not, but they're certainly uh, independent, uh, independent. Oh, they're members. They're, they're members. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. And uh, now six months ago, you uh, followed what is, uh, I won't say a well-worn path yet, but from uh, brewing uh, into the material supply side, and uh, you, you took a job as a sales rep for HPA, Hot Products Australia. Yep. Tell me a little bit about that. You know, as, as somebody who fell in love with the process of making beer and, the, uh, and, and drinking beer, obviously, um, what was the thinking in terms of going and becoming an industry supplier? For me, I, I personally see it as a natural progression in my career. Um, I loved working in, in a craft brewery and with the people there, but I, I was after a new challenge. I'd enjoyed uh, production, but what I really wanted was to put myself... I was, I was very comfortable in a craft brewery, and what I wanted to do was, was make myself uncomfortable again uh, and surround myself with you know, some great minds in the industry. I mean, the people on my brewing team, or on, on our sales team, it's, it's, it's essentially a brewing team, I mean... We've got Dave Edney, uh, who takes care of um, some of the other states, and, you know, OJ, Owen Johnston. He was, he was awesome at Moo Brew, and, you know, Tim Lord, he was, he was a, an excellent brewer back in the day too. So we've actually got a team of brewers. When we talk hops, we talk hops from a, from a brewer's perspective because we've used these hops and we've brewed some of the best beers in Australia with these hops. So it's, it's just been a natural step. Does that let you, when you are sort of repping... Hops, you're able to actually talk to brewers about their beers and give them something that's not just on paper technical specs, but tell them about how the the, the hops perform in the kettle and yep. you know what sort of they're going to add. Talk about some of the flavors. Look, it, that's exactly why I guess HPA decided to to hire qualified brewers and experienced brewers yep. uh, because we can we can fully appreciate the impact that our hops have in the beer and we can communicate that. But the other thing is that there's, it's such a black, like flavor, hop impact in beer is such a black box. It's, it's so mysterious. You can apply a lot of science to it, but the art is very important. But at the same time, to implement the art properly, you need to have an understanding of that science. So at HPA, uh, we've got, with such a strong team, we can give a lot of technical service and advice to the customers. And we can actually go back into our breeding program with Dr. Simon Wittick, who's an absolute guru, um, and talk to brewers with him with his knowledge and really try and, you know, unlock those secrets. So we're passionate about hops and unlocking secrets, but we, we, we love beer. Now, without getting uh, sort of into the grubby realm of commerce too much, was there a, was there a financial benefit to leaving the, the brewing trade and going into, into the sales trade? Uh, <laughs> um uh, that's that's a tough question. That's that's there's there's it's always nice to progress in your career. It absolutely isn't a reason I did it. The, the main reason I went into it, I I chased it, 
Um, and and there's, a there's a financial reality to every decision we make. I've got a wife, I've got kids and all that. But ultimately, it was the direction I wanted to take. Yep. Um, I like, whereas I used to deal with one brewery and have 15 beers on the go, now I've got 200 clients. Uh, they've got, if they've got 10, 15 beers each year, that's, that's two, 3,000 beers that I have indirect influence over. I get to talk to 5, 10, 15 head brewers a day I know what's going on in all these different breweries. I know, you know, whose boiler is down, who's ordered too many hops, who's got a problem with their malt supplier. I know all this stuff. So it's, it's really, really interesting. And, and I guess what I was getting at there wasn't sort of saying that you were um, going, you know, money grabbing or anything like that. Yeah. But industry, brewing pay is increasingly becoming an issue uh, for, for the industry to face. And I was just wondering whether, mm. you know, if, if we've got talented award-winning brewers, um, and it's more attractive to do something other than make beer um, in, in the industry. Yeah. Is that going to cause problems for the industry later on? I think, no, look, I think that there is, I mean, we're all pretty aware at the moment that there's been such an explosion in breweries and in beer volume, yet there's, we still don't have a great crop of experienced brewers. We've got a, we have a great crop of experienced brewers, we just don't have enough numbers off them. The wages are there. Um, if you want to go chase them and if you want to go after them, they are there and they are required. So, um, yeah, and even the, you know, good brewers, not just head brewers, production brewers with experience, uh, we are seeing wages go up and it, it's, it's justified. Yep. Oh, that's good. So from your point of view, uh, what are the exciting um, hop developments that, that we're seeing? I've, I've done a bit with um, OJ in the past. We talked about the... The hop report, but um, th there's a very active development program I've, that I've spoken to Simon about. Yeah. But from somebody who has just entered that side of the, the the business, what do you find exciting about the the hop industry and, and what's going to be coming on stream in the next couple of years? I mean, one for me, the most exciting thing at the moment is just unlocking the secrets of the hops that we have in our hands at the moment. I think it's fascinating. I'm doing a lot of brewing at home since I stopped being a commercial brewer. I'm doing a lot of home brewing. And I'm using these Australian hops that we, that we grow um, and, and just trying to do some single hops and using different methods and getting different flavours out of them. So I still think that while we're always in the search for the new flavour and the new product, have a look at what you've got now and, and get excited with that. that that's what excites me. Um, we do have some new hops that we're commercialising or we're looking to, to commercialise. Um, and it's a really interesting step, just the actual commercialisation off, off a particular hop varietal is, is, is crazy, you know. Um, HBA is essentially an agricultural company first and foremost, and I'm, I just work for the sales arm of it. So to look at the agronomics of, of what it takes to start one seedling and 10 years later have actually get to the point where you have a hop that's going to be you know, financially viable and have an impact in beer um, is really cool. So we've, we've got a new hop that uh, we don't have a name for it yet, uh, but we've we've got some trials going on, so yeah. It'll I think I might have spoken to OJ. This is the one that's got strawberry and uh, some, some strawberry characters. I think I. Ah, uh, that was one. Uh, the the okay. other one we're doing at the, the one that's got a bit more chance of coming out. Uh, 016 is its sort of code name, and it's it's got some really lovely. Um, it's got that typical uh, tropical flavors that you'd associate perhaps with the Galaxy, uh, which is our biggest selling brand. But it's also got some really excellent citrus uh lemon rind and and orange peel and orange zests flavors to it it's quite unique again so yeah look, look out for that 
In, but again, that's not going to be commercialized for a few years. And that's just the, the, the reality of propagating hops and only having one cycle a year. So, yeah. <laughs> it, it, it's interesting to hear you speak so passionately about big, bold flavors in hops. Um, when, as we remarked, you were you know, very adept at making beautifully balanced, uh, you know, not lighter lagers, but just beautifully balanced classic lagers. Oh, Hellas lagers, 4.7%. Hellas lagers. Um, yeah, absolutely. The, hops can be used in so many ways. If you overdose them, you destroy your beer. Uh, for me, I always tried to brew with finesse uh, in, in my beers. Um, and I still try to do that. But now I've, I've just had this whole Pandora's box of hop knowledge opened and I'm just I'm just like a kid in a candy shop right now in terms of my curiosity and, and the brewing techniques I'm into implementing it at home to, to, to learn more about this, you know? I, I was speaking to Scott from Wolf of the Willows recently about their brute IPA um, and he made a, a really interesting comment that one of the reasons that hops have driven the craft beer movement is because they're very easy, they're very accessible um, to people outside of the brewing industry is that did you do you have any thoughts around that uh look i, I haven't actually had any brute ipas yet i've got a few friends i've been speaking to that are, it, it, it was yeah. less uh, about the the style but just about that you know most of the beer styles have driven the the, the, the craft beer um you know, renaissance um have been hop driven styles and it seems to have been hops that have captured the drinker's imagination totally and yeah. and that was where that was coming from that Hops are very accessible to people. They know that they're drinking something distinctive. They know they're drinking something different. And it's, it, it's something you can hold on to quite easily, whereas sometimes the malt or yeast characters can be a little bit subtle. Oh, totally. I mean, Hops, is, hops is, gets a lot of credit for, for that sort of thing. Oh, I'm sorry, I'm being heckled. I'm being heckled. This is Heckled by the peanut gallery. Heckled yeah. by the peanut gallery. They're, they're looking at my shoes. They love them. Uh, and, and listeners, this isn't great radio, but he is wearing uh, some fairly impressive cowboy boots. Yeah, in size 17, so they're large. <laughs> uh, yeah, look, hops create a lot of credit, um, but I mean, there, there's so many different techniques for making beer accessible to people, to the palate. If you're using fresh hops and you're using them correctly, the impact they have is, is, is excellent and it is appealing to a lot of people. Um, I mean, some of those first Australian craft beers... The reason they, they appeal to people is because they were using, you know, little creatures was using cascade flowers um, and and just had an incredible impact. And then they've, I don't know what they're using now, but I mean, it, it, it's just so accessible, those those flavors and so appealing. Um, and the other thing to look at as well, it's, it's not just beer culture that's changed over the last 10 years. It's, you know, the Australian culinary palate in general has changed significantly. If you look at what you'd eat, uh, if you look at recipe books from 10, 15 years ago and you look at them now uh, and what Australians are eating in the restaurants that are out there, the Australian palate has evolved. It's, it's, it's really a lot more open than it used to be. There's so many different flavours. So I, I think that the, the actual craft beer movement is, is, is a part of that larger culinary movement that, that Australians have, have enjoyed and are still enjoying. Little Creatures is almost like that watershed moment because it was the first craft beer brand that really uh, went large um in the the modern incarnation and so people that have uh been drinking legally since uh 2000 um so i turned 18 in 2000 have pretty much been drinking in a post craft beer world and so we're seeing 
consumers under 35 and especially under 30 are much more uh, open to, to the, the flavours that craft beer offers. Is, is that a reasonable comment? Look, I don't know too much about the demographics of, uh, of craft beer consumers versus non-consumers, but uh, it, it makes sense. We, we did grow up in that, that period. Um, I was in Italy just a few weeks ago and I, I went to visit my favourite brewery, Birificio di Lambrate, and I got to know that as a 16-year-old kid because in, in Italy you could drink at any age when I was growing up. Um, and you'd walk past her on the way to basketball training and, and you'd have a beer. And it was so different to the the other lagers that were going on. These beers had yeast, they had hops, and they were incredibly strong to drink as, as, as a young kid. But you were going, wow, this, these flavor sensations are amazing. So that's how I grew up as a brewer, uh, as a consumer, should I say, just learning off these these great flavors. So it, it makes sense that the younger generations that have had these these beers available since they've been able to drink that they really enjoy it for sure and uh, you, you've just recently been over to um, the, the Brewers Conference in, in the US yes. um, and had a chance to sort of look around a little bit more widely did, did, did you bring anything back from there any, any new trends any new uh, you know styles that brewers should be looking at or you know white techniques that brewers are using for, for me the big thing was uh, dry hop dosing is something that's taken my interest uh, especially of late and looking at the various techniques that uh, the US are using to actually dry hop uh, for impact and for safety. Um, in Australia, our breweries are smaller in volume generally than what they are in the States, so we're a little bit behind, but there's so much going on in terms of um, agitating hops and really expo breaking up those lupulin glands and getting maximum extraction, um, and also in terms of, you know, mechanisms, be them hop torpedoes, be them some of the, uh, the, the Rolex systems that are actually breaking up the lupulin glands and, uh, and um, mixing with beer. You know, there's, there's a few different techniques and I, I think it's really uh, something that Australian brewers are already starting to look at, um, some of the larger brewers, and so I think it's going to become more and more accessible to the smaller breweries as well, and important. So, so talk, talk me through that technique. So the, 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 the role... Uh, Rolex, they're a producer of a, basically a pump and a, a, a pressure vessel that you put your hops in. And instead of having, if you've got a five metre tank, getting up there with 10 kilos of hops can be very dangerous. Yes. So what you can do is you can introduce these, um, you can introduce these hops at ground level from a safe area and have them blown into the tank. Uh, one, it means you don't have to get up high, but two, the other thing is by, by agitating with a pump and breaking up those lupulin glands, you're going to get more... Uh, more extraction uh, from those lupulin glands and actually into your beer. So there's there's some really good techniques going on right now. People spend a lot of money on hops, and I think that they're actually looking at how can we use it, how can we use our hops smarter as well. I, I spoke to Dick Cantwell earlier today, and one of the things that he talked about was the advanced hop products or the hop extracts and the, some of the modern hop derivatives um, that brewers are using are almost necessary because of the efficiencies they give the cost savings and also the environmental footprint that they have. Yeah, uh, totally. And, and, and we're seeing them used a lot more as well. Look, they've got a lot of advantages. Um, they have they have their place. Reducing vegetal load is one of the biggest challenges that brewers are facing at the moment. We are dry hopping more than ever. Our consumers are wanting that 10 out of 10 impact in beer from an aroma and a flavour point of view. And how do you practically get that much hop flavour into your beer? and yet extract maximum yield from your, from your fermenter. And using these hop products that 
have, have been processed um, completely naturally anyway is a really good way to reduce that vegetal load. You can look at reducing your vegetal load by you know, 40, 50% in your fermenter, get pretty much the same outcome and you're getting a lot more kegs of beer. It means you're making more money and you're getting the same impact. So they're, they're really, really interesting. And they can actually introduce a new array of flavors as well because the way they're being broken up, you, you know, uh, we have uh, our varietal and our non-varietal um, uh, hop extracts there's, there's a whole new world of tinkering and playing around uh, that can be achieved just with these hop extracts. So, And uh, just before I let you go, what's your favourite beer style? Like, is there a style that just... Yeah. I, I, it's a question that I hate um, because it, there, there's so many uh, variables that can come in, but do you have a, a standout style? Okay, so I've sort of got three uh, at the moment, which is pretty long-standing. I'm in, like you said, I'm a, I'm a lager guy. I love a Hellas lager. Hellas or Pils. The modern Australian pale ale is just beautiful. And, and what, what uh, commercial examples of that? I mean, a stone and wood is a really, a really, really well-known example. Absolutely lighthouse um, uh, brand in terms of, you know, they really put that style of beer to the forefront and I really enjoy it. Um, and another beer that I love is, uh, there's, a, there's a, a brewery out there, Moobrew, doing a single hop Enigma smash and I can't get enough of that. So... That's my favourite hop, uh, and those are my favourite beer styles, I'd say. Beautiful. Well, Michael Capaldo, thank you for taking a little bit of time out of uh, BrewCon 2018 to join us, and uh, glad we finally got to uh, catch up and have a conversation about good beer. Yeah, no worries. Thanks very much, Matt. Much appreciated. And that was Michael Capaldo. Don't forget, if you like what we do at Radio Brews News, you can help us out in a number of ways. You can sponsor the show, either by a small monthly contribution or through a one-off donation. You can find details in the show notes. You can review our podcast on iTunes or your favourite podcasting service. Let us know what you think and help others discover the show. Finally, you can tell us directly what you think by sending an email to producer at brewsnews.com.au. All letters received will receive a Brews News bottle opener, And thanks to our good friends at Beer Cartel, the letter of the week will receive a mixed six-pack of Australian craft beer. When Brews News cast and crew are buying online, we buy at Beer Cartel. We love hearing your thoughts on the stories we cover because beer is a conversation. And we look forward to another conversation next week. Music